Welcome back to the Policy Viz podcast. I'm your host, John Schwabish. Thanks for tuning in. I'm coming to you from Northern California at the So Sai Fu Camp at Facebook. If you listened to last week's episode, you heard me and Andy Kirk give the recap of what we saw. So this week, I'm very excited to have two guests with me to talk about data ethics and a session that they held early on the first day. And so I'm excited to have Haytan Shah, who is the executive director of the Royal Statistical Society, and Laura Noreen, postdoc at NYU. Thank you both for coming on the show. Excited to have you. So why don't we have, maybe you could talk just a little bit about your background, and then we can dive into the topic. Laurie, you want to start? Sure. Um, so I got my PhD in sociology, and I did almost all of my research on organizations, and they were all tech organizations. And then I had the great opportunity to do a postdoc in the Center for Data Science, where I continued to study how universities grapple with data science. And along that route, I realized that we weren't really addressing ethics as much as we could be. And you started a data ethics course there, right? Mm-hmm. And you're teaching that this I'm semester. Teaching that right now. Yeah. That's yeah. good. Going well. It, well, we've had two sessions, so. Okay. okay. <laughs> so far, so good. So far, everyone. <laughs> everyone's so still, far, everyone's okay. still enrolled. Okay. All right. Hey, Tom. So uh, I run the Royal Statistical Society. I'm a professional charity chief exec, so I've run a different charity before that. Uh, and before that, I was a think tank kind of policy person. Mm-hmm. So for me, uh, I, I'm sort of the interface for the RSS on policy matters, and data ethics is obviously kind of becoming a bigger and bigger agenda. Right. We convened a, a big uh, summit a couple of years ago in Windsor Castle and because of the location whoever we asked to come came along uh, and we discussed kind of you know where is uh, kind of ethics of big data going and one of the big recommendations from that was we need a new institution a kind of council for data ethics uh, to be set up and that's one of the things that's now moving forward in the UK. So you two didn't know each other though before Facebook? No we were sitting next to each other. Oh okay (laughs) and you were like we need we need a session. Yeah. Okay all right so why don't we start with what is data ethics? (laughs) Or what are data ethics? No, I think it's what is data ethics. <laughs> the fact that there's this long pause, I think, means there's a lot of work to do. <laughs> well, I think that there's a whole series of questions, yeah. uh, ethical questions, which come out of uh, the kind of new data landscape that we're sitting in. Uh, actually, my starting point is what is the purpose of the use of the data? Mm -hmm. Uh, And that's often overlooked. People jump to kind of privacy or bias or these sorts of things. But actually, if you ask the public, you know, what what is the thing that really drives your response to uh, whether you want to share your data for a particular purpose? It's are they doing this in some way which is going to help me or help the the public good? Mm -hmm. Uh, And for example, if you hear of... uh, uh, Las Vegas casinos who are uh, estimating your spend threshold as you walk in and then trying to disrupt that so you'll spend more, that is clearly not in the public interest. Right. Whereas if you're using data for uh, you know, health research, etc., they're much more likely to be happy for you to do that. So it seems to me public interest is a really important mm-hmm. starting point. Yeah, and I would, I would just say it, one simple place to start is to think about the Hippocratic Oath, which is often summarized as first do no harm. But that's not actually the Hippocratic Oath if you go back and read the real thing. But anyways, that's what it's summarized as. So if with data, you could think of not only first do no harm, but how do you make sure that, like, you know, if you're working to sort of 95% confidence intervals, like, you're very aware of what's happening to the other 5%. Mm. Um, and and we, you know, you can see other kinds of issues of scale and issues of um, dealing with some of our previous kind of agreed upon practices for being ethical, not really working for, for data science. Like, mm-hmm. how do you obtain informed consent when you're talking about, you know, a giant corpus of tweets 
that's, you, you can't scale it. And it, you know, what if you store it indefinitely? How do you consent someone to that? Does that even make sense? Can they cognitively understand what they're agreeing to? Right. I mean, it seems to me like health data, security data, personal identifying information, Facebook data, for example, we're sitting here at Facebook, I think sort of defining what data ethics mean or being ethical with those data seems pretty obvious to me, clear cut. But if I were to ask, what would data ethics or being ethical with data mean if I were to apply it to, you know, the census, for example, or sort of a standard, maybe a more standard data set that doesn't have people's names and specifically identifying information? So there's still basic uh, issues around kind of data security, for example, and uh, consent still comes into it. But I think that those are less tricky because we've built up those practices over many years. And in a sense, with new data sources and trying to combine old and new data sources, that's where we're getting into trickier spaces. The other thing to remember is that then our notions of ethics have shifted as technology has shifted over time. And that's so, it's not so easy as to say, what are the ethics and let's just apply them. Mm-hmm. Our notions of privacy changed over time and will continue to change. Our notions of, uh, and for example, our attitudes to sex and uh, morality around sex changed because of the pill. Mm-hmm. So technology and morality and ethics have always had a kind of to and fro relationship. Mm-hmm. But what would a person, your sort of, you know, standard data analysts, she downloads census data or whatever, when she thinks about ethics uh, or being ethical with the data, it's not just privacy and security. It's thinking about how we treat and think about different groups in the data and do those tabulations and think about different groups and uncertainty around those estimates, right? So if you're using census data, it's, yeah. it doesn't have names. Should we? Should there be an idea that maybe you shouldn't try to re-add names mm-hmm. to that because... You can you can do combinations of data sets, so that's a that's a fairly rule level question. Should should you just right. decide that you're not going to try to re-identify people? Yeah. Maybe that should be kind of an ethical rule, not mm-hmm. a principle, but just a rule. Like we're just not going to. That's the thing that we're right. not going to do. Um, and there's there's things like that. Then there's things about transparency that come up a lot with data science. Like, how interpretable should this activity be, and how and how much responsibility does the sort of data science community have to make what they're doing interpretable? That's a kind of you know, as we move into a, a situation where more and more people are doing jobs in which they are the expert, and almost nobody else can understand what they're doing. This isn't just about data science; it's about divisions of labor and and the you know kind of the modern workforce. Um, how how transparent do we have to make our work, whether we're data scientists or anyone else, to the typical user? Mm-hmm. And I think this is again where there's something new. So you know, again, I think the census example is one where we kind of know what we're doing. Right, right. But with the introduction of machine learning algorithms, that's where you're starting to get a black box, and it's much more difficult to know how you're going to treat that from an ethical perspective. So. There are, as you're aware, lots of debates about algorithmic accountability. Is it publishing the code? Well, you're not going to get very far with that. One of the things I've been saying, uh, particularly within the UK context, is that um, the public sector holds a lot of data uh, and is being now approached by private sector companies who hold these algorithms. And they're almost like magic. In the eyes of the public sector, this is is magic. I mean, there are instances of the public sector really giving away the data very quickly yeah. because to the magic. And what I've been saying is actually, you've got it the wrong way around. You have the monopoly. Yeah. You have the data. data. Yeah. Uh, and actually, the, the, these companies are to a penny and there is a marketplace of them. So 
in this marketplace, you now must use your procurement power to enforce a whole series of transparencies and kind of governance, oversight, etc., uh, because you ha- you wield a lot more power than you think you do. Right. And I think if we can get that message across, we will have a far fairer sort of set of outcomes yeah. than otherwise. Right. Because a hammer without a nail is just a hammer, right? Um, <laughs> so what is the RSS doing in, in the UK right now to grapple some of these issues? So we're working quite hard at the policy level. Uh, so we made this recommendation for a council for data ethics and uh, we persuaded, uh, there's an independent foundation called the Nuffield Foundation. 20 years ago, it set up uh, something called the Council for Bioethics at the time that this was a really kind of uh, big issue and that body did a great job of kind of doing research and reports in that area so we persuaded them to set up a council for data ethics in a similar way so that's just being set up right now uh we've been giving uh, evidence to our parliamentarians there's a there's a, an inquiry running on uh, algorithms and decision-making, uh, so I gave evidence to that. Uh, and there's also one in our House of Lords on uh, artificial intelligence, and similarly, we, we've been telling them you know, how we thought that, uh, from a kind of public interest perspective, all of this should play out. So how do you build up the guidelines or the principles? Are you pulling together existing guidelines that, that other places have created? Are you starting sort of from scratch? So I think this Nuffield uh, Council for Data Ethics is going to do that work because yeah. they will be properly resourced to do that. Uh, and uh, uh, I mean, one of the things that's come out of the sessions today, which I found quite useful, Chris Wiggins was talking about, you know, thinking about this uh, at the level of principles, at the level of standards, and then at the level of rules. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I would hope that anything that comes out is at that sort of level of, on the one hand, what are the kind of really big level issues and principles that we can agree upon? And then how do you then take that out to standards and then uh, further down to rules? But I right. think all that's to kind of play for it. Right, right, right. He also talked about in your session earlier about the enforcement side. So does the RSS then, once it's defined, is there an enforcement protocol that you'll be working on and is it enforceable? Uh, so no, I mean, I think that's the whole point that yeah. ethics is different to law. Uh, at the European level, we're already about to see some new legal changes with the general data protection regulation coming into force. And that is actually going to bring a lot of good practice in. Um, but at the same time, it leaves open a, a number of ethical uh, questions, including, I mean, under GDPR, once you've got consent, you can still do whatever you like with the data. Well, there's still some things that we would say, you know, ethically, you might not want to do with right. the data. Right. Uh, but, you know, what, what, what are the enforcement mechanisms? It's going to be uh, good practice guidelines. And it's about, I mean, we're a professional body and we've known that our codes of conduct are things that statisticians can turn to their clients or to their superiors and say, you know, this is against my professional judgment right. and I've got it backed up by my professional body. And I would hope over time at the moment there is no uh, professional body for data science, but, uh, you know, we're helping to kind of create that space. And uh, as the codes of conduct, etc., come out, we hope that that will empower the profession. Right. Do you see the Royal Society as being the right professional organization to address data science? So we see ourselves as being able to do some of it. We have a data science section and a machine learning network, but we don't claim to own the space uh, and others are kind of welcome to to play in that space too. So, you know, who knows? It may well be that a new body is created in in due course, but there's no sign right now in the UK of that happening. Lauren, you have started your data ethics course at NYU. So can you talk a little bit about what does that mean? How do you teach uh, people to be ethical with data? Well, so one of the things we do is we admit that ethics is not new. So we start with 
you know, ethical philosophies. And it's really, really frustrating to data scientists and and to a fair number of people who are expecting me to say, okay, here are the ethical principles (laughs) we're going to establish, and then we're going to move on with the rest of the course, assuming that we agree on these ethical principles. Because in ethical philosophy, you've got very different principles available to you that are still being deployed. It wasn't like one one some hundred years ago and we've, <laughs> we've continued on with that. So that's that's been really unsettling. And and some of the class just dropped after I said, you know, I'm not going to just be able to teach you. Uh, Here are the rules. We actually had a fair amount of drop-off from the first week to the second week. Well, they really wanted that going, concrete. Yes, yeah. they wanted the concrete. Yeah. I'm going to tell you how not to screw things up. Right. So there's you can see there's a lot of anxiety, but there's not necessarily the same appetite to really engage with these Mm. questions and and be kind of on the front lines of what is happening. On the other hand, after the second class, and, you know, I've been teaching for about seven years now, all sorts of different classes, not that this is the first time for this class, but the students were so excited about the class, they stayed after class in the classroom for an hour and 15 minutes extra, which is an entire extra class session. And then they still wouldn't, you know, on the sidewalk outside of the building, they still were talking. So <laughs> yeah. the, the people who are into it, you know, this is the right time to be in these classes, to be on these councils, to be trying to put together communities of interested people to to, to shape what these ethic, ethical principles are going to look like, what the rules are going to be, and how they're going to be deployed. I think it's great that they're coming out of a professional body. I think that's the right place for them to mm-hmm. be because that's likely where they're going to be the most effective and the most flexible. If they were coming out of a legal body, they're not going to be that flexible. Right. So right. That, that, I think that's really the right way to go. Having said that, I think that, you know you, what you're saying does really point to that need that you know people who are not necessarily going to immerse themselves in the topic still want to know when I go into the office on Monday, what is it I need to do? Yeah. And that's the job, I think, over the next couple of years for, for everyone working in this field to say, yes, it's complicated, but what is it that we can kind of point to? Yeah, and we're, I mean, we're not alone here. The ACM, the IEEE, there's yeah. a group, um, Gideon Mann out of Bloomberg, and just group after group after group. You know, we're, we're not geniuses, we're just your, your average data science interested <laughs> person who also has some kind of moral compass and is looking around and saying, wait a second, I think... I think we can do better. Yeah, yeah. and as as well as kind of developing these frameworks, I think that there's a role for some of these new bodies to actually take real problems, have them deferred to them, and to almost develop what you might call case law around yeah. them. Right. Mm-hmm. So these are new issues, and uh, there aren't always right answers. But if somebody thinks them through and can say, "This is why we came to this conclusion," then others could use that as mm-hmm. it were. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think, you know, if we could make this a kind of transparent space where people are saying, this is how I'm thinking about it, we will get good debates and we'll be better off in the long run. Are there similar efforts in the U.S. or other countries to the RSS's effort to build this rules or regular, <laughs> or, you know, sort of this amorphous amorphous thing? Is there, are there other organizations? So, I mean, I think Laura's talked about some of the kind of other initiatives yeah. that are going on. Uh, but... Um, I, I don't know of anything quite like the, yeah. the thing that the, the, the Nuffield Foundation is setting up. Right. It does seem to me in the UK there, there is quite considerable policy interest, uh, which I think you know we've helped to kind of gather the momentum behind that, but uh, as of many others. So, yeah, I hope that you know we, we'll take a leading edge and that others can kind of build on that and right. take what, the, what they want from it. New York City has uh, become the first city to establish a task force to understand whether or not the city should make transparent all of the algorithms that it ever uses in any kind of decision making 
and do additional kinds of work around data sets themselves, mm -hmm. which, you know, cities are one of the biggest sources of open data now. So right. it's sort of about time that we had something like that. Do you ever worry that focusing on data science, computer science, these the, the sort of, you know, technical fields where people are working with, you know, the, the sort of newer and bigger sorts of data that maybe other areas of study may not be aware of, of these issues and are not paying attention. So economic, you know, <laughs> coming in economics background, you know, they're, you know, economists are starting to use social media data, starting to use these other types of data, but maybe this is not on their radar. And how do you ultimately get them to pay attention to this? That may well be true. Uh, I suppose, you know, it's going to be about cascading these things right. out. And it's noticeable that data science courses are now popping up all over the place yeah. and working with other disciplines because data science in, in of itself is, you know, empty. It's, it's got some methodology, but beyond that, it's got to work with a disciplinary framework. So I think I would hope that it cascades out that way. Right. That is one of the things that, that universities that are using their data science not as a department, but as sort of a center. The centering work is pushing this kind of thing out. Um, economics in particular seems to be a difficult discipline to engage. There was an article in the New York Times that made the claim that economists are the least likely to be doing interdisciplinary work. That sounds about right. <laughs> I mean, in the UK, there's a whole interesting movement around rethinking economics, uh, where students rebelled in Manchester mm. and asked for a completely different kind of uh, series of courses. Yeah, yeah. There's also the core economics course, which is a kind of new version of uh, the curriculum. So there are things afoot, I think, which yeah. are kind of uh, bringing more heterodoxy into yeah, yeah. right rethinking economics. The Institute for New Economic Thinking yeah. it's out there, but it's I think that's a small. Yeah. Small yeah, absolutely. So, so going forward, then along with the cascading, I assume that you would both view a data science uh, educational framework, or, you know, a school of data science, a degree in data science, that a data ethics course or seminar or something would be a core requirement as, as part of something like that. Yes, it's great to have a, a course that deals with ethics. That's, but it would probably be even better if there was a course like that that, you know, has some technical component to it, but but that all of the people who are teaching methods are sort of aware of this mm. and are reinforcing it as they go through and are making sure that where they have a chance to, to you know, teach a method using data that's that's got some personally identifiable stuff. So they say, okay, first we're going to do this. Now we can learn this method rather than, say, taking, I don't know, galaxy data, star data, which doesn't have any of those issues, mm -hmm. or taking a data set that's already been cleaned. Like, let's make sure that we're reinforcing this all the way along because I think that the tendency sometimes is to get these types of courses to seem like they're the soft courses or they're somehow an adjunct to the main show. Right. You have to get out of the computer lab yeah. and yeah. think about philosophy. You have to make it not a box checking exercise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What, what I'd really like to see, I think, is not just a sense of ethics stops us from doing stuff. It's about ethics guides us towards some really useful things that would kind of drive social change. So, you know, what are the examples of data being used for public good to drive the sustainable development goals mm -hmm. to stop uh, animal poaching to kind of using satellite data to see where kind of uh, you know how, how we're dealing with poverty etc cetera, etc cetera. so there's some really exciting things which i think could help students see data for social good uh, rather than seeing it as a kind of barrier for change basically yeah, that's great uh, let, let's end on a positive note that, that's <laughs> great uh thanks so much both of you for coming on the show Pleasure. thanks very much
And thanks, everybody, for tuning in. If you have questions or comments or thoughts, there'll be lots of links on the show notes page. So please do let me know. So until next time, this has been the Policy Viz Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you.